to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Bridging Chicago, a podcast brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. My name is Savannah Roundtree, and today I'm joined by two of my colleagues. I have Nathan and Nora with me. Um, Thank you both for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Savannah. Thank you. Um, So today what we're doing is we're doing a diversity panel with um, employees from SATC Law. Um, We were inspired by our recent podcast with Natalie when she was talking about her um, protest history and involvement and just given the current state of things and how prevalent Black Lives Matter is in the news and protesting and how diversity is really an important conversation for everyone to be involved in right now. Um, We wanted to involve ourselves in the conversation and talk about Um, diversity in the legal field and in our own lives. And um, yeah, so we're just going to jump right in. Um, You know, you all know Nathan, uh, the other host of this podcast, um, and joined with us today is also Nora. So Nora, why don't you just give us a little um, intro just so all the listeners can get to know you a little bit. Yes, hi there. So I have a bachelor's degree from Western Illinois University. I'm originally... um, from Mexico, but I was, you know, grew up in Chicago, and then I'm also new to the legal field. Great, yeah. So today we're going to talk about um, a couple different levels of diversity. Um, you know, obviously myself and Nora are women in the legal field, which is um, can be a tricky subject sometimes. Um, Nathan and Nora are both of um, Mexican descent, and we'll talk about what it's like to be people of color in the legal field. And um, Nathan and I are both members of the queer community. Um, Now, I I say queer community. um, That's a term that I um, am okay with using. Nathan, is that a term that's okay for you? Yes. uh, I I really don't. um, Don't. Disidentify with any of them. <laughs> queer, LGBT, gay, uh, they're all good for me. Yeah. So today during our conversation, um, you know, I have a master's degree in public policy. I have a master's degree that was based in sociology. So as we talk, um, I'll be sort of inserting some terms and I'll make sure that everyone is on the same page as far as the terminology and the words that we're using. But we do want to be really careful because some words, um, like queer especially, unless you know someone, it's not always a term that you just (laughs) want to call someone, but um, I enjoy using that term. Um, But just so we'll all be mindful of our language today, I just want everyone to know I might be hopping in with some statistics and defined terms here and there. Um, So I guess we'll just um, start it off. And Nathan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and what it's been like for you Um, navigating 
Chicago and um, the legal profession or any of your professions really um, as being a person of color. And Nora, you feel free to jump in as well. Yeah, thanks, Savannah. Um, So I was born also in Mexico. Um, I lived there just for a couple years. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have a real tie to my Mexican heritage. I was brought to the U.S. illegally, uh, not with my family, ended up here, and then um, eventually ended up in foster care. So when I was right about two years old, sometime between two and three, I came to the U.S. and did not speak any English. I spoke fluent Spanish, no English. Um, I don't remember this happening. So it's unfortunate that I can't give really stark details of this. Uh, In some ways, it's kind of good because I'm sure it was very tragic. I'm sure there was a lot of trauma involved with that, um, obviously being alone in a new country and being a toddler. Yeah, as a toddler, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, in some ways I'm, I'm glad that I don't remember certain things, but in other ways it would be nice to know sort of who I was at that point and you know, my family and stuff, but. Um, yeah, I mean, cause there's the tragedy of all of the trauma you're going through, but also just losing that history as well. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that, Savannah, because I've had people ask me about the 23andMe thing. Oh, really? <laughs> because, yeah, a lot of people are, like, going on and, and doing the genetic mm-hmm. testing and stuff, which I think is really cool. Um, and people ask me, oh, do you want to do that? Do you want to, like, you know, find out your lineage and whatever? And I'm like, you know, most people do that, and they're like, oh, I could find out that my great-great-great-grandfather was George Washington, which would be really cool. <laughs> but, yeah. like, I could find out my parents or my siblings so it's like yeah I'm a little hesitant to, to do that just because I I do yeah. have a family I have a, a an amazing family um, my parents adopted me after fostering me for a time uh, I went to preschool through uh, high school 12th grade in a small town here in Illinois. In a very state. small oh, town. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan's graduating class was 17 people. Is that yep. right, Nathan? 17. And um, were you the only person of color in your graduating class? Actually, I think my graduating class had all the minorities in the whole school oh, at the really? time. <laughs> because we did have, uh, we had a another, I think he was full Japanese, but at least like, part Japanese um, kid in my school who was also adopted. And then we had um, a Mexican family that moved there to work at one of the nearby factories. Uh, And so she was also in my class Um, and she and I were really good friends. Yeah, that's good. Nora, um, you said you grew up in the Chicago area? Yes, I did. Um, Were you in Chicago or what neighborhood, what suburb were you in? Yeah, I grew up in Rogers Park, so up north. And, okay. Yeah, and, you know, from there I went, I did grade school and then high school in the city. So I always, you know, very proud of being like a true city kid, yeah. I call it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it was a lot of fun and, you know, a lot of, I, you know, I think just living in the city, I was exposed to a lot of diversity, especially like in the north side or Rogers Park where 
you know, traditionally it's known for being one of the most diverse um, areas in the city, you know, from mm-hmm. the Jewish community to like Pakistani to Hispanics, you know, all over. And yeah. And then from there, um, from, uh, you know, getting into a city school, which was just as, you know, difficult as getting into college. I feel yeah. Like, you know, the whole city process. Yeah. I didn't grow up in Chicago, but I've heard people trying to get their kids like into high school or state college or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, it's way more difficult than college applications. It seems like. Right. And there's like all of these different options, like lottery systems or, you know, test scores or, um, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of stuff. So I did, you know, I was able, I was lucky enough to get into one of like the Chicago prep schools. And, yeah. you know, so I think that that was, you know, mm-hmm. that was a huge, uh, win for me and you know guided like my journey you know into like school yeah. and college and I did um go to a city school or like a city um community college right after high school and then okay. from there I transferred because I wanted um you know like the full college experience so I did transfer over to Western Illinois University and then mm-hmm. you know so then I got you know a whole experience of like growing up in the city and then also living in a small town so I can relate a little bit to yeah how so, Nathan grew up <laughs> right so mm-hmm. you guys have sort of an interesting um sort of like opposing track Nathan you started the the smaller mm-hmm. town and then um yeah. eventually moved out to Chicago where you know much more diverse uh you know, you know, just obviously, and the Nora, you obviously had sort of the opposite experience. So, what was it like for you, Nora, going from such the the diversity of Chicago? Of course, sh- Chicago has um, its own complicated uh, diversity of racial um, racism history, but. Um, what was it like going from Chicago, being in the city schools to a smaller town? Did you, was there a noticeable difference to you? Yeah, I think in general, just living in Chicago, like meeting so many different people from different backgrounds all the time, especially in city schools. Then when I went to um, a small town, Macomb, Illinois, that, I think it was, that was one of the first times that I really started to notice my diversity and why what I brought in and that I was different. Mm-hmm. I think that was really when I experienced like, oh, you know, ever, um, not that people were looking at me differently or treating me differently, but I could see the disconnect, like me, you know, going in there and like I had people, um, you know, tell me, oh, can you speak Spanish for me? Like, I want to hear it. And like, I, that was different to me because they were to, to people, you know, from Macomb, like I was, you know, different to them and they hadn't seen people like me, yeah, I guess, as often. A bit so of a, a sort of curiosity. Exactly, uh, more curiosity. Not, yeah, so like, not no. a lot of um, maybe uh, blatant racism or anything, but just you could feel the sort of othering, the differences. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and Nathan, so what was it like for you having the opposite experience? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because... It really is an opposite experience where um, one of the things that I remember, I had this discussion with my mom, and actually it wasn't too many years ago, but you know, she, she mentioned about how they always tried to raise me as if I was their own and there were no questions about it. It was like, you know, they always treated me like, like 
one of their kids. I have uh, three siblings who are biological of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a little different dynamic than some adopt households because a lot of times like parents will adopt a child or two and they don't have other kids Sure. or even they'll have other kids and they'll wait a long time and then adopt, you know, after their kids are grown a little bit. But for me, my three siblings and I are pretty close in age. So, um, and it's also, my parents are white. Um, I am Latino and, uh, I'm clearly dark. Like I, I, I'm not like a quote unquote passing white Latino. Sure. Um, and then my three siblings are white as well because they're biological with my parents. And so it's like, there's no question I'm different. Um, yeah. And so my mom was telling me, you know, we always tried to raise you as if, you know, you were our son and you weren't any different than any of our other kids, which obviously I appreciate. And I felt that, um, but I really feel like that is indicative of what the culture is down there, where it, it was this thing of like, you need to be white. You need to be as white as you possibly can. And if you weren't white, you needed to act or sound or be as white as you could. So it wasn't when I went to school, I learned English, period. Mm-hmm. I didn't I, I don't know Spanish anymore. I didn't. There was no attempt to keep it. There was no attempt to really like encourage me to be bilingual. It was like learn English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I did change my name and I was pretty young when I did that. My original name was Juan. Okay. And um, I just got, you know, I had all the questions of like, why is your name so different? Like your name sounds kind of funny. What's with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in kindergarten at the time. And so for yeah, me. I'm sure the other five-year-olds hadn't um, interacted with anyone named Juan before and right. did not understand how to pronounce a Spanish name. Yeah. And, and to be quite honest, I didn't really either. So mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. I actually went by Manuel, which is my middle name and still is. But, um, you know, same, same thing. Um, so I changed it to Nathan. Um, I really just tried to fit into what was around me as much as possible. And growing up in a town of 1800, I mean, it's a, it's a good town. I, I enjoyed it. I have, we were super I think close. that many people went to my high school. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, our town's not even that big anymore. I don't think. But, um, so when I say small town, I mean, small town. Um, it was just this, this thing of you try and fit in as much as possible and anything that's different about you, you should try and make the same as much as you can. And obviously I can't change my skin color. I wouldn't change my skin color. Um, but people always tell me, they're like, Oh, you don't sound Mexican or you don't, you don't speak Spanish. Which, FYI, um, for anyone listening, telling someone they don't sound a certain way or <laughs> that they sound white is a microaggression. You should not do that. Um, same goes for asking someone, um, like Nora said a few minutes ago, to speak another language for you as a sort of performative task. That's asking people of color to basically put on a show for you. And that's also not OK. Yeah, and it it, it happens quite a bit, Mm -hmm. at least in my experience it has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from what um, you're talking about, it seems like um, is a fairly popular thing, I think, among 
um, especially people in smaller towns, is to sort of say, well, I don't see color. And it sort of seems like they wanted you to just assimilate and they would accept you as long as you, you know, played by the rules. And that's really not what being diverse is about. Um, I'd like to jump in now and just this is our diversity panel and diversity and inclusion get thrown around together a lot. So I just want to be clear about diversity is like having variation in any group of people that is either um, by personal, physical, and social characteristics. Um, and then inclusion is when you have systems in place to ensure that any group or company is diverse and that you're um, actively seeking diversity. Now, also, um, I've seen by um, activists sometimes using the words a little differently, where sometimes they say that diversity is the inclusion of black people in a space and inclusion is when there are other um, people of color or LGBTQ individuals. Um, so you really need to have diversity and inclusion as far as those activists are concerned. Um, I just want everyone to be aware of how these terms are sort of being used currently. Um, so it sounds like Nathan, in your growing up experience, for example, there was diversity by the fact that you are um, a person of color, but not a lot of inclusion because <laughs> um, there was no nothing to um, help empower that diverse part of you. Yeah, and I think that's a it's a really good uh, way of helping people understand that because people. One of the things I also don't want to do is to blame people because people a lot of times will say, you know, oh, I, you know, I feel like I'm getting attacked or getting blamed. And and there's two things to that. One, sometimes you do need to be, mm-hmm. I don't want to say attacked, but sometimes you do need to understand that what you're doing is part of the problem, even if you don't realize it. And, and not saying that you mean to, but, you know, like you were saying, the, the microaggressions, uh, they are they are real and, and and they they are not any different than calling someone by a word that you shouldn't call them because they're a certain race. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so. I th- there's a real tendency when a person um, it's pointed out to them that an action or something they said was um, racist or was a microaggression. Their tendency is to feel attacked. But I would hope that if, um, you know, if I was ever told that something that I did or said was racist, that it should be a learning moment and you should seek to do better and to not do that again. I really think it should all be about learning to do better. Yeah. And Nora, you can share your thoughts on this, but I'll say that um, when I have had racist things said to me or done to me, for the most part, it hasn't been super blatant. Um, I think the African-American community probably experiences like very blatant, very hateful racism more than I have in my life. Usually it is kind of layered with niceness or layer, you know, it is micro, it is um, not intentionally aggressive or, or hateful. Um, it comes from a place of not understanding what all this is. Mm-hmm. And so 
for me, uh, that's what I have much more experience with. And where I grew up, um, I think that that's how I saw this whole thing play out of like, for example, the example I gave with my mom, she was telling me like, we wanted you to feel like you were one of our own, like you always had been, which obviously I do want to feel that. And I did feel that, but kind of coupling with that is that the more that you tell someone like you want them to be like you, the less you're allowing them to be like them. And so the only thing I wish is that I could feel like one of their kids, but still understand and still know and still kind of celebrate who I was culturally, knowing that I, you know, I did come from Mexico and and there is this whole Latino culture that, um, that I should be really proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say to celebrate your background still, because, um, like you are their child, but, um, like also you have a lot of celebration to make, you know, in your background. And yes, I agree with the, the microaggression. Like I haven't really experienced like a full on, like, um, you know, racism, I think, but in general, yeah, a lot of things people say it's like they mean to say it as compliment or, um, you know, like what I would get the opposite comment of, oh, you don't look Mexican, but, it, but it's like, well, what do Mexicans look like? You know, there's a, there's a whole variation of us and, you know, I am a hundred percent Mexican and that's what it is. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people actually don't realize that there is a, as much racial diversity in Mexico as there is in the United States. <laughs> yes, I would agree. Yeah. And um, Savannah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the other thing of we, when, when we kind of bring this into our work lives, it's like we want to do the same thing in our workplace. And that's a really difficult place to do that because, um, I always have to think about when I meet new clients of ours, I, I'm a legal assistant here, so I, I assist our attorneys in handling um, client matters so, so that um, they can do the things that only they can do and I can help them out with what I can. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll work with clients on their, on their cases or on their matters. And um, we have terrific clients and I have never once, and, I, and I'm so appreciative of this, I've never had once had a client question my ability to handle their case. That's good um, for you. Yeah, which is great. And, and I want to give, um, I, I, I want to say that because I have had many other people um, who are in the legal field say that they've had clients who have requested different attorneys or different people work on their case that they have considered leaving that that law firm i've heard stories of people who were not allowed to speak on the phone to their clients because uh, you know they wanted them to just do the email thing so that they wouldn't sound like they are not educated enough and it's like literally just because of their accent um, that they would be that, but, um, I've had really great experiences with that here, but I think in the legal field, because it's one of those things where you, you are dealing with highly sensitive information and, and, you know, if you're dealing with the law, you're, 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 it's difficult Mm -hmm. and we understand that. Um, 
but there are tons of stories of people who have just been harassed in so many ways in the legal field because of just the way that they look or sound. And Nora, I know you're kind of starting out your your career in the legal field. I think you've been here still less than a year um, at this point with yeah. the firm. Um, and so maybe you can speak to um, to coming into the legal field, kind of what you expected and what you've seen so far, if that's kind of matched that. Yeah, well, yeah, no, so far it's been a great experience, a very inclusive experience, especially here at SATC Law with, um, um, you know, the like innovations and everybody that works here, like there's, you know, a lot of diversity with like an age and backgrounds and, you know, people that come from all over the place too. Yeah, I will say um, SATC is the only uh, place I've ever worked in the law. I started um, at Nora's position as support coordinator, currently the law clerk. Any day now, I'll hopefully be able to take the bar. <laughs> if it weren't for COVID, I would already be working as an attorney. Alas, here we are. Um, and I will say that, um, you know, I have, we do have really great clients and I've never had any, I've never had to leave a matter or anything, but um, especially when I was starting out, I would get a few clients where it would just be, I would say one thing and then you hear that, um, after I talked to them, they actually called someone else, um, to talk about it. And they just, you know, would give them the exact same information I did. But, um, sometimes being a young woman in the legal field is not the easiest path. <laughs> yeah. And to that point, Savannah, I think, um, it helps. It, well, I'll say this. It doesn't hurt that my name is very white sounding, mm-hmm. um, because I think that people kind of assume if they don't see me, then they assume that I am probably either white or, you know, very ingrained in the culture. And so I definitely surprise a lot of people when they meet me and they're like, oh, <laughs> uh, and I can tell. I can always tell when they're, I'm not what they expected um, because we've all heard, you know, stories. And I know people who have a uh, – sort of a work first name or mm-hmm. even last name because uh, they don't, you know, uh, they don't want people to not be able to pronounce it or they don't want to have to answer the questions of like, oh, you know, where's your first name from, blah, blah, blah. You know, just things <laughs> like that. It's, it's like it's just easier for people to use mm-hmm. a, a name that people here can understand. And so I do wonder if I was still going by Juan or Manuel, if, uh, if that would change the perception of my ability to do my job. Um, and, and that's, that's something I don't know, but it is, I mean, I, there are people who can absolutely say, yes, people have prejudged me solely on my name. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just have to do a Google search to see, you know, how many um, anecdotal articles that are like a woman, um, you know, changing her email signature and then um, suddenly getting a much better response from clients just by, you know, maybe removing her first name, just using an initial. Or I know some women who actually um, add on their quote male assistant to emails, but it's just them responding. But now, 
that a man's responding, people take it more seriously. And I'm sure that goes um, exactly the same for people with um, non-white sounding names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where, you know, as professionals, we need to do what we need to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. You know, every day I come to work, I come here with the intention of doing my best job to uh, get the results that our clients need within the bounds of the law. And so, you know, I understand ethically and legally what I can do to help them and, and what, you know, I need to pass off to the attorneys. And as long as they'll allow me to do that, I, I think I do a pretty good job of it. Um, and so I kind of look at it as, well, if you don't want me to assist you, then, you know, you can find someone else to do it because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm secure in who I am and in my, my heritage, my, my background, my ethnicity to know that, um, you know, all those things who make me who I am bring me to the point to where I am a pretty good legal professional who's learning every day. Mm -hmm. And I will say that, especially here at the firm, um, though, you know, our partners are four white men. uh, Well, um, as long as I've worked here, which has been almost five years, um, everyone else has always, there's always been a lot of women. There's always been a number of people of color here. um, And they've always put their full faith and trust in us and allowed us to um, do our work. Yeah. And I think also, um, we've seen in different ways, I've been here for five, five years now, and I've seen in different ways where they, number one, they want to learn, they want to learn about diverse people and about our backgrounds. They care about who we are as people and not just as, uh, you know, employees, but, um, but also when something is wrong or something, someone has said something or done something that is not acceptable, they don't play around. We deal with it. You know, I, I always feel like there's someone I can go to and talk to them if, if I feel like I've been, um, I don't want to say wrong in some way, but if, but if someone has said or done something that makes me uncomfortable, I know exactly who to go to and I know exactly, um, I know that they're going to address the issue and, and we can all move on and work together still. Mm-hmm. This concludes part one of our diversity panel with the Bridging Chicago team. Be sure to tune in next week for our continuation of this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.
We just hope that 